0: Good morning. We are uh, wrapping up uh, chapter 14 today, where Paul will, in 1 Corinthians, where Paul will conclude his discussion on spiritual gifts. If you've not been with us before, we've been walking through 1 Corinthians together. We've been walking through several chapters on spiritual gifts, starting back in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We go a little back before that. We saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, the beginning of a call to orderly worship, and so we're going to conclude. Uh, that conversation today where Paul is going to now conclude his discussion on spiritual gifts, but he's going to do so by writing to the Corinthian Christians specifically on orderly worship, or as we are going to call it today, proper worship. Now, if we could define the word proper this morning, we would define it this way. Proper literally means suitable or appropriate. And so as believers in Christ today, when we talk about proper worship, we are talking about that which is prescribed In the Word of God, as useful and good and right in order to practice or better yet perform in service. Now, some of you might have just had your neck hair stand up when you hear the word perform or performance in worship. I am not speaking of a performance that happens on stage where people perform and there is an audience. ...who is simply watching. Rather, what we're talking about is more what we see in Nehemiah... ...where the body of believers face one another... ...and they sing to one another and encourage one another... ...according to the word of God. So when we speak of performance this morning... ...we're speaking of the congregation... ...participating together in that which God has called good for worship. Now, I think this is important for us today... ...because we now live in a day and a time where anything and everything is now considered good and appropriate and right for worship. For example, we have churches that have scent machines that can make your church smell a certain way in order to prepare you for worship. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that's a bad idea. Here's why. Because if I start smelling the scent of a blueberry muffin, we are done. (laughs) Communion has changed. Okay? That is the flesh in me. At the same time, we live in a day and a time where we have social media pages that are now dedicated, and you can find them, to showing you clips of what's happening in worship services. And if you read the caption, they're asking this question Is this appropriate in worship and has God been glorified? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I've seen one of these clips. And I don't necessarily know if drummers flying around a congregation is glorifying to God. In my mind, I am no longer focused on glorifying God. I'm focused on the 200-plus-pound man with a drum kit above me. I don't want him to follow my head. That is not how I want to get to heaven. You might get made fun of. At the same time, I think we need to take this conversation one step further. Maybe the better question to ask is is not whether or not this is good and glorifying to God, but maybe we need to ask this question. Is what we are doing in worship beneficial? Beneficial for building up the church. You see, if it's biblical and it's beneficial, then we can ultimately conclude that what's now happening in worship is that the church is now being built up all for the glory of God. So as we look at this text this morning, This is actually what Paul describes to the Corinthian Christians. And in this final section, we're going to see Paul give them a word on what is good and a word on what is beneficial for the church in terms of worship. And again, Paul's goal for the church is very simple. He simply wants to see the church being built up. He wants to see them edified and encouraged according to the word. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you to join me now. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we are going to begin reading in verse 26. And if you have found your place in the word of God, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the word. Now again, this is Paul writing to the church of Corinth by the grace of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, Paul writes, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or, th- or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is being said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, then let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, then he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. You can be seated. Now already upon reading this passage, I have already heard some grumblings about what is being said, and do not worry. We are going to get through this together. Now, before we jump back into the text, I want us to see that Paul is now closing his thoughts on spiritual gifts by turning his attention towards worship. And so what we have before us is Paul is describing that which is proper for worship. You see, for Paul, he believes that there must be some sort of order in worship that now provides clarity or better yet edification for all of those who are attending worship and therefore participating in worship. And so Paul says, in order for there to be proper worship, there must be structure. Not only should there be structure, but now there must be submission. And ultimately, with structure and submission, there must be standing when it comes to worship. And all of it, in worship, must be biblical and beneficial for the body of believers. So Paul now says these words, again, because he's trying to remind the Corinthian Christians... That there's no place for pride within the church. There's no place for selfishness amongst the body of believers, nor is there a place of arrogance when it comes to the believer and their ability to be able to worship. Now, as we have said before in multiple chapters throughout 1 Corinthians, Paul has clearly shared, according to the word, that there is no place. For one person to be elevated in worship unless the one being elevated or lifted up is Jesus Christ. His is the only name that matters. Anything apart from that is not worship. And thus Paul ultimately concludes that it's therefore not proper for worship in the church if it doesn't directly lead us to glorifying the name of Jesus. And so Paul, in this moment, challenges the Corinthians Christians' arrogance. He then teaches them that the church gathers for the purpose of edification. And edification ultimately occurs when believers receive instruction according to the word of God. Now, in order to understand edification in the church, we've got to come back to our text and see what it is that Paul calls proper worship. So our goal for this morning is this. We are going to attempt to answer the question, what is proper worship? And I believe in our text this morning, Paul gives us three points on what is proper when it comes to worship. The first example we see is in verses 27 through 33, where Paul tells us that in order to have proper worship, there must first be proper structure to the worship. Now notice how Paul comes back to speaking about prophecy in tongues and describes what would be proper structure in terms of those gifts being used in the church. In fact, in verse 26, Paul begins his instruction about what should take place in the church when they gather. Now again, remember Paul's goal. His goal is for these things to lead to edification for all who attend worship. So Paul says, when you come together, each one has a hymn a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Now, again, I want us to understand that for Paul, this list is not comprehensive. However, Paul does acknowledge that there is a time in worship for people to participate in order order to edify the body of believers. You see, Paul teaches us what the guiding principle of the church should be. He literally says, what is done in worship, and in his own words, should be done for building up. Again, Paul's goal for the Corinthian church and for all churches was very simple. He wanted the church to grow. He wanted the church to be strengthened in its understanding of the word of God. And so we get to verse 27 and 28, and Paul begins to give us some regulations, or better yet, some proper structure that we should exercise in terms of the gift of speaking in tongues. Paul says, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn. Now, again, when we define tongues, we talked about it in terms of languages. And so what Paul does in worship is he gives limitations here in order to preserve order in worship within the congregation. So notice that Paul calls for them to speak in order. Now, this would be important because Paul does not want them to speak at the same time. Because what happens when you get into a room and multiple people are talking at one time? You can't keep up with the conversation. You might be able to pick up on some words, but you're not picking up on what is actually being said. Now, why would this be important for Paul? It was important because it was a matter of serving the church by understanding (coughs) You see, following order, according to Paul, leads to understanding for the people. And thus, when order is followed, coming back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, now all of a sudden, those who are practicing the gift are showing the love that Paul has been talking about over the past few chapters. You see, we practice love when we practice order in worship. Coming back to the text, Paul continues, and he says, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Notice that Paul now teaches the church that if someone is speaking in tongues and no one is there to interpret, then that that speaker should be silent for the tongue is now forbidden. So why would Paul call it forbidden? Because as he has already said earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the church cannot be edified if the church is not being instructed. The church is not edified if there is no one there to interpret. So Paul says, to those who have the gift of speaking in tongues with no interpreter, you should remain silent. Again, Paul is saying this not because he's trying to downplay certain gifts. He's saying this because he cares for the church. Even in the structure of worship, Paul says that there should be care for the body of believers. Because ultimately, even in worship, that is an opportunity to build up the church. Excuse me. Now, coming back to the text in verse 29 through 32, Paul gives instruction here and in limitations on those who can now prophesy within the church. He says in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak. Again, Notice limitation is placed, like tongues, so that order is maintained. But then pay attention to this phrase that he says. He says, let the others weigh what it is that is said. Now again, I want us to understand that Paul is not promoting the people within the church to come to the church and ultimately sit as a panel of judges in order to judge what it is that's being taught. Rather, Paul is pointing to the fact that we should be well-versed enough as believers that we can ultimately examine any and all prophets and determine whether or not they are false. So that goes beyond who's preaching in the pulpit. It also goes to what we're hearing from our friends. When our friends say to us, well, I feel like the Bible says this. When you hear the word feel, you need to tune in. Because the Bible doesn't say anything about feeling. It either is in the Word or it's not. And so as believers, we should be mature enough to know whether or not what we're hearing is true or whether or not what we're hearing is false. Now I want to tell you today, brothers and sisters in Christ... This is very important for us today. If you're not spending time in the Word today, then I promise you there are things that are getting through, that are just sinking in and sneaking in to our hearts that are not of the Lord. You see, there are too many churches now, too many pastors Too many people who who claim to be mature that think they are good and right, and it's all based less on how they teach and, and what they preach and more on whether or not they can draw a crowd. We've got pastors who aren't preaching the word of God. They're giving TED Talks. And that's not what God has called us to as a church. At the same time, have you noticed how easy it is to become ordained clergy now? I mean, think about that. You can go online right now, spend 20 minutes in a class, which, oh, by the way, I did. Which, oh, by the way, if I knew it was this easy, I'd have saved three years of my life. (laughs) Listen, Texas is a beautiful place. But where I had to go for seminary was flat, yellow, dusty, and there were tornadoes. I could have avoided all of that in 20 minutes for $100. Imagine the money I would have saved. Good grief, I've done this wrong. But people can go online now and spend 20 minutes in a class, become ordained clergy, and guess what they can do? They can marry people. They can bury people. Some of the degrees will let you counsel people. Could you imagine that? All in 20 minutes. You get a piece of paper that says you can do this. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, according to the word of God, what a joke! I mean, what do you really know from taking one class over 20 minutes? I mean, just think about that in other areas of your life. Imagine if you went to the doctor and you were sick because you had a nasty cold and then you had this pollen issue that hit you and you didn't know what was going on. And so your doctor, you walk in, you explain your symptoms, and they say to you, wow, that sounds bad, but that's all I can tell you. And then I say to the doctor, show me your credentials. And they say, well, literally, I just finished a class 20 minutes ago and got a sheet of paper that made me a doctor. Is that the type of doctor you want to go to? No, it's not. It's kind of like the commercial we used to see all the time on TV. Is this person a professional? No, nope, but they did stay at a Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> what does that tell me? They stay at a cheap hotel. That's all I know. And praise God, clean hotel. Expectation for our first responders or our lawyers. We wouldn't be satisfied with that. We wouldn't be happy with that. Some of you, some of you guys in here are teachers, and you've spent three to four years of your life getting an education degree so that you could be equipped to teach our children. How does it make you feel if somebody walked in and said, I just took a 20-minute course? And now I know more than you.
1: You might be like, praise God, take my class and good luck. Just keep paying Right?
0: But that's what we've done when it comes to the care of the Word of God. And so here's the reality. And I'm saying this as a part of our church, because people who are are members of our church, you know. And if you're not a member of our church, hopefully and prayerfully, you are at another church uh, that is faithful to the Word of God. And, And here should be our concern. As churches, we should want and desire for other churches to have pastors who are faithfully preaching and teaching and living the word of God. Anything short of that is unacceptable. And so Paul says, be sure that what is being said is faithful to the text. Because if it's not, listen to this, if it's not then you may not be in a church because they may be worshiping something or someone else. Paul continues in verse 30 and 31. And this is where we begin to see some controversy that, that has been set before us in terms of some of these prophetic words. And Paul speaks this way he says, uh, he speaks of the revelation made to another sitting there. Now, when Paul says these words, Paul is speaking of pastors and elders who may have been given a word that may be more clear to the congregation, and so what Paul is saying, give way to the one who may be able to better articulate the points. What Paul has in mind here is kind of what we see in Nehemiah when when the book is brought out and Ezra begins to read from the book, and then what happens? It says and the other prophets went out to the people to make sure they understood what it was that was being taught. Now again. This does not mean as members of the church we should jump up and offer clarity in a sermon or in a worship service at any point. But rather this is for the teacher so that the people who are hearing the word are understanding the word and thus they're edified based upon that understanding. You see, Paul is speaking to the church here when he speaks of teachers who are standing or sitting with the people. He says that the word is taught. And and maybe we didn't understand the word so well, which is possible. Paul says another teacher should step in and clear up the point so that the the church can understand. You know what that means for us? That means that as a church, we need to continue to pray for God to send us people who know the word. and, And are willing to be taught the word. And are willing to teach the word. Now, again, Paul did not expect this issue to happen much in the church, but he says if it does, he says, for you can all prophesy one by one. Again, Paul's goal was for the edification of the church. In other words, it isn't necessary for one pastor to be the lone voice in the church. This is why we have elders. This is why we have other teachers, so that you can hear from other voices. I mean, let me just put this to you in some context for a moment. I am thankful by the grace of God that on Sunday nights our students are led by Forrest. Forrest sits down and he faithfully preaches and teaches the word of God to our students. And I'm picking on Forrest at this moment because there has been times where my children come home and I ask them, what did you learn tonight in service or in Bible study? And they tell me what they learned. And my initial thought is to think huh, I literally just said that to you. But it didn't take. Why? Because they needed to hear it from another voice. And so I'm okay with that. And as a church, we should be okay with that as well. We need to be okay with hearing other men faithfully preach the word of God. We need to be okay with having teachers who want to faithfully teach and preach the word of God. And ultimately, even when those teachers teach the same thing that we've been trying to teach our children, we shouldn't get upset if they didn't hear it from us, but rather they heard it from them. Because what they are still getting is the word of God. You see, for the church, Paul says it's edifying for the church to have others who can teach so that more and more people can be instructed and edified for the sake of proper structure. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need order. Teachers should not be speaking at the same time. They should be limited. Speaking in languages shouldn't happen at the same time it should be limited paul goes from there in verse 32 and 33 and he engages the argument that when you are in the spirit you ultimately can't stop or control what is being said or when it's said now i find this very fascinating because this is the same argument we hear from a lot of churches today they'll say listen when i get into the spirit all of a sudden i can't control what's happening i have to to say this gibberish i have to do this goofy dance i mean we've all seen these videos right But here's what Paul says. Paul says that is not true. In fact, in verse 32, he says, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. In other words, those who have and possess gifts are ultimately in control of those gifts, not the other way around. The gift does not control you. You control the gift. So when you want to stop, For the sake of the edification of the church Then you can simply stop It is not uncontrollable Okay That is a tool to put into your arsenal For when people say to you I have this gift and I can't control when it's used Wrong The Bible says you can Paul then goes on to explain why Because of verse 33 He says for God is not a God of confusion But of peace In other words, Paul is now saying that that life in the spirit of God is not disorderly. Life in the spirit of God is, is not chaotic. Order itself is not an enemy of God. In fact, since God is a God of peace, then God himself can control the chaos. God himself can control the disorder. Thus, God is a God of proper structure. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to our gifts and worship, as we said in 1 Corinthians 13, we are called to love. But we're also called to serve, according to 1 Corinthians 14, in such a way where our gifts, our actions, and our words in worship should be meant to instruct the church and ultimately edify the church. We are in control of what it is the Lord has gifted us with. At the same time, it is God who is in total control of all things. Because he's a God of order and a God of peace. So, when it comes to worship, do we see in both our service and our participation that having guardrails, if you will, having structure in service is good for the edification of the church? In other words... We are in no place to come in and create our own way. We are in no place to come in and simply say, I don't like the lesson that's being taught, therefore I'm throwing it out. We are in no place to walk in and say, this passage, particularly verse 34 and 35 of 1 Corinthians 14, is terrible. Therefore I'm discarding it and will not teach it. No, we have to have structure. We have to have proper structure because that structure is good for the edification of the church. So we should seek in church proper structure so that we can enjoy proper worship, whether in worship or teaching or in service. It can't be about us. So if we were going to do anything, thanks be to God, this is what we do, Here at Southside, we have to stick with capital T Truth. We have to speak with capital T Truth, and when it comes to our service, we serve in capital T Truth. Now notice that Paul's going to continue on from there. And he moves us from proper structure to now giving us a second answer to what is proper worship. And it's actually found in verse 34 and 35. Paul teaches us that not only should you have proper structure, but you should also now have proper submission. Okay? Yes, I said submission. I just said the big no-no word in our society. No one likes submission at all. But as the word of God will teach us, there has to be submission in order for us to have proper worship to the one who is the Lord. So just look with me. Second half of verse 33, okay? Don't walk out on this yet. Paul says, as in all the churches of the saints. Literally, Paul is setting up what he's about to say. And he states that what it is that he is about to write should be, has been followed by all the churches that he has been a part of. In other words, Paul is pointing to the unity of the churches at this point. He's pointing to the fact that there is now strength in community. There is strength in in common ground, thus the Corinthians should embrace what it is that he is about to write as well. And this is what he writes. Verse 34 The women should keep silent in the church, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law says. We should close in prayer at this point. I'm kidding, that would be terrible. This would be the moment where women are ready to throw shoes. And I understand that. But let's just look at this passage in context. Some scholars have argued that these passages, along with verse 35, were actually added later to this letter. However, in every Greek manuscript made available to us with these passages, verse 34 and 35 are in the exact order as they appear every time. Now I want us to understand that Paul is not calling for an additional restriction to be placed upon the women of the church. So I think to understand Paul's point, we need to go ahead and just read verse 35. So let's go ahead and rip the band-aid off for a moment, if you will. He says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now remember, our first point was what? In order for there to be proper worship, there must be proper structure. Now, in order to understand structure, we have to understand that there has to be proper order. So we need to make sure that we know the word in order to make sure that what we are hearing and what we know is what's truly being said according to the word. So here is one of those moments where in today's society, many people have been looking to this passage to show us how the Bible is against women. The problem is this. We know already from Paul's own words, that that is not true. Paul is for women. He is not against them. We go back to the Gospels, and we see how instrumental women were to the ministry of Jesus Christ. So for this text, we need to really understand it in some sort of context. You see, during Paul's day in Corinth, it was common for, for women in particular who wanted to flaunt their wealth, who wanted to flaunt their authority, who wanted to flaunt their, their new found freedom in Christ to simply disrupt the service and speak out against what they were hearing. The women didn't want to hear about order. They were saying, no, 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 no. There is no order. Why? Because there's freedom in Christ. We just gotta, we gotta make it up. And so they were speaking out on this issue. And again, the big issue for the Corinthian church was pride. It was selfishness. In fact, Paul has talked about this with every chapter. So coming back to our text, Paul is now addressing the sin issue of pride in the women of the church. You see, Paul loved the church. And so he knew there needed to be order. So here's what Paul does. Paul calls out the women who were disrupting the order of worship, and he says to them simply, submit to the male leadership of the church. In other words, these women clearly did not like the authority of the word. These women clearly did not like being under the leadership that had been called to faithfully preach and interpret the word of God to them. They saw it as, this is now mine, this is now my freedom, I'm going to do what I want with it, and I don't need to be together with the body of believers. And so Paul calls them. He calls them out because they were embarrassing their husbands. He says, you're bringing shame upon your church. And so he calls them to be silent, and then he gives them a moment of grace. Notice what he says to them. He says this, If you have a question, here it comes, a moment of grace. If you have a question, ask your husband. Yeah, some of you ladies are looking at me right now asking, how is asking my husband anything a moment of grace? I understand. Part of the reason why I don't think Allison's in the room today. (laughs) That's not true. She's helping next door. Let me clarify that before I get in trouble later. Some of you will try to get me in trouble. I've learned this. Notice what Paul says in the text here, though. He says, as the law also says. Now, I want us to take note of the fact of of what's happening here because, because women, you're not being punished by Paul in this text. You're not being punished by the law. You're not being punished by the word. There is no extra limitation that is now put on you, but rather what Paul is calling for is he's calling for submission by the women and the men of the church so that proper order can be maintained. He's simply talking to the women of Corinth who are disrupting service, and he's saying to them, Stop! Stop! Because you're bringing shame upon your home. At the same time when Paul speaks of the law, Paul is taking us back to the creation account, the creation order that we see in Genesis chapter 2. So, men, I want you to hear this as well. Because in taking us back to Genesis chapter 2 and to the, the creation account, Paul is now holding you men accountable as well. I mean, think about this. If we could put this in modern English for a moment, Paul would literally say this. You want to know why women are disruptive in Corinth? It's the same reason why Eve took the fruit. Not because she just willingly did it, but because man was there, and man abdicated his responsibility to lead his family. So yes, women were acting in pride, but at the same time, notice, man, you are now called to lead your family in proper worship. So check this out. Paul calls for the women to submit themselves to the husband. We've spoken about this before. Good thing, right thing. Why? Because order is good and right. But then what does he say to the men? Men, submit yourself to the authority of the word of God and teach your families the word. So I want to ask this question this morning when it comes to proper worship, even in our own homes. Women, start with you. Are you in faithful submission to the word of God? Are you in Faithful submission to your husband, encouraging your husband, strengthening your husband, edifying your husband as you seek to be faithfully led in worship and in how you edify and instruct those who are in your home, both in service and in love. Men, Paul would say to you in terms of proper submission, are you in faithful submission to worship? Are you in faithful submission to the Word of God so that you can faithfully lead your home in terms of passing along the Word of God to your children and in leading your wife in the Word so that she could be presented without blemish before the throne of God? Are you serving and leading your home in service and leading your home in worship when they look to you, husbands, when your wives and children look to you, can they look and say, here is a man who is faithfully leading our home in worship? say that of you, men. I'm telling you now, according to the word, you're doing something wrong. You're doing it wrong. So men, let me me say this. We have this statistic that comes out every year that tells us 20% of the people do 80% of the work in the church. The follow-up study then tells us that out of the 20%, 18% of the 20 are women served. Guys, I'm going to tell you, according to the word of God, that should be opposite. The men should be faithfully served. The men... Should be faithfully leading. Men, I'm going to say this to you. Let me give you a tangible one. This is an easy one that most men don't do. The men should be singing. You may say, Pastor, I don't sound good. Who cares? Show me in the Bible where it says, if you don't sound good in singing, don't sing. Maybe you found it in the book of hesitations. I don't know. But that's not what it says. Men, we should be leading out in singing. Men, we should be leading and praying. Men, we should be leading out and faithfully serving our homes and sitting down around the Word of God in our homes. And men, if we are not doing that, and I mean we, me included, if we're not doing that, then we're not doing what God has called us to when it comes to proper worship. In other words, we're not properly submitted to the Word of God. And so men, I'm going to ask you this question. How can you expect your wife to faithfully submit to you when you're not faithfully submitted to the authority of the Word? How? Talk about an unrealistic expectation. There it is. That was for free, by the way. I usually charge for that in counseling. I digress. We move on. The question we need to ask ourselves is this. What are you submitted to today? Are you submitted to the Word of God? Are you submitted to the Word of God, or are you submitted to your own personal desires? How are you leading your home when it comes to worship and submission? Listen, if you come in today and all of a sudden being a part of worship is a chore, you're missing the point. You're not submitted to the authority of the Word of God at that point. So what are you submitted to? Paul moves on from there. And he gives us one final thought about what is proper worship. So we've already seen Paul say, what is proper worship? Proper structure. What is also proper worship? Proper submission. Then we get to this third point. What is proper worship? Paul tells us in verse 36 through 40. It's proper standing. In other words, it's, it's, it's really what happens in this, this final part of our passage where Paul's now going to anticipate some of the Corinthian Christians responding in opposition to what it is that he has said. And so this is what he's going to literally say to them. He's going to say, listen, I hear your opposition, but here's the problem. On what authority are you opposing? Because you're not opposing me at this point. You're opposing the authority that comes from the word of God. Paul, on this point, reminds them upon who has the authority and what that proper standing or proper authority should be in the church. Verse 6, he asks the question, hypothetically, or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? Now again, Paul says that he is not making this word up, but rather this is the word of God that has been passed on to the generations by the apostles. Thus, the point Paul is making in these questions is this. If the Corinthian Christians begin to reject what it is that's being taught by the apostles, then ultimately they are rejecting the gospel itself. Why? Because of what the apostles have learned, they have learned from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul then goes on to remind them that not only are they rejecting the gospel, but he says this, you, like the other churches, now share in this same message. You now share in this same gospel. Thus, if the Corinthian Christians begin to deviate from the word of God, then they are ultimately not only creating division within the church, but in their deviation, they are now creating division amongst the churches themselves. And so Paul says to them, be careful what you question, because you may think you're questioning man. But the reality is, if you're being honest with yourself, you're not questioning man, you're questioning the word. Now again, Paul is not elevating his own status here. He's not saying, hey, look at me, I preach the word, I am all there is. No, what he is saying is, no, no, what matters is the word of God rightly handled. And so when you ask upon whose authority, my answer is this on the authority of the word of God as given to us by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our authority. Paul goes on from there verse 37. He says this. In fact, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he would acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Notice that Paul now acknowledges that, that there may be some among them who could also teach the word, and thus they begin to think, you know, maybe what Paul is saying is according to word. Paul says, hey, that's a good and right thing. However, Paul does say this. For those who think they are teachers of the word, who then all of a sudden think to themselves that, hey, we don't need to listen to Paul at this point. Paul's lost his mind. Sure, this might have worked for other churches. Sure, this might be in correlation and conjunction with the gospel. Sure, this might be a part of the word of God. But the reality is we don't need Paul. We can do this ourselves. And so Paul replies to them. Expecting that argument. And he said, Look, this word is not from me. No, this word is a command from the Lord. And failure to listen and apply what's being taught from the Lord could be consequential. In fact, Paul, we see in the Bible that Paul's not the only person who actually reminds the people of their standing and their authority that exists among the apostles. The apostles. In fact, Peter reminds the church as well. It's like Peter chapter Peter 3, verse 2. He says that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. You see, like Paul, Peter says, listen to those who speak with authority, especially when they're faithfully speaking from the word of God. Listen to those who have been placed upon the, the authority before you, especially if they're humbly being led according to the word of God. And the reality is, listen, you may not always agree with them, But even in the disagreements, you have to ask yourself, do I disagree with them? Or am I disagreeing with what the word of God has commanded? Now notice Paul takes this one step further in verse 38. He says, if anyone does not recognize this, pay attention. He says that he is not recognized. Notice what Paul says in this moment. Paul says, those who ignore the word Those who ignore the word and say, hey, this word is not for me. Those who ignore the word and say, hey, we can just figure this out ourselves in the name of discipleship, or in the name of missions, or in the name of worship, or in the name of evangelism. We can just figure this out ourselves. Paul says, if you ignore this word, you will be ignored by God. You see, in this moment, again, Paul is not elevating himself. Rather, Paul is acknowledging, look, I am just speaking from the word of God, and so being so, the word is what has the authority. Therefore, God is the one who has the authority, since this word is the spoken word of God. Now, this may be a hard pill for us to swallow. However, if there are those who who have been placed in authority over us and they are faithful to the teaching of the word of God, they are faithfully submitting their lives to the word of God, then here's the reality. Paul says, listen, we shouldn't question what it is that's being taught to us when we disagree. Mm -hmm. Why? Because what we're hearing is straight from the word of God. So here's the reality. Our issue is not with the man. Our issue is with the message. Mm -hmm. Thus, our authority issue... Is not with the man. Our authority issue is with the word of God. And therefore, if we have an authority issue with the word of God, then guess what? You have an authority issue with God himself. I mean, literally, what Paul's doing here is he's echoing what has already been taught to us in Psalm 1, verse 6, when it says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. In other words, what we learn from the psalmist and we see here with Paul, those who ignore the authority of the word of God will be ignored by God, and thus they will face final judgment. So clearly, Paul sees the authority in the word, and Paul, Paul calls for the church to follow that authority. So you see, we've got to be careful who it is that we're listening to. We've got to be careful of who it is that's that's speaking into our lives, whether it's a podcast or a book or a person or a friend that we think we can trust. We've got to be careful because even our friends can say things that would lead us away from the authority that's found in the Word of God. In fact, there's a lot of people out there today that are saying things to us like this. You don't need discipleship in order to be able to go on a mission. Well, what's the Bible say about that? We need to be discipled. You can't just all of a sudden bippity bobby go and expect magic to happen. That's not how this works. Some people would say, hey, we don't need the Word of God as long as we got worship. How do you know who you're worshiping? don't ever read the word and talk about it. I mean, just think about that for a moment. I grew up in the 90s, man. And let me tell you, we had Christian music. No, we didn't. Lean on Me was a Christian song. There ain't nothing Christian about that song. One of my favorite that came out was a song sang by a brother and sister called I'll Take You There. There anywhere in the Bible where I'm taking anyone to the glory of God. Let alone, that song is not about taking people to heaven. You want to know what it's about? Look it up yourself. I'm not going to tell you that. I promise you it's not good. You see, that's what happens when the Word of God is not directing a worship. It's what happens when the Word of God is not directing our evangelism. It's what happens when the Word of God is not directing our missions. Just to name a few. We get lost. And then ultimately we begin to question the authority that comes with the word. Coming back to the text, verse 39 and 40, let me close this up real quick. Paul concludes his lesson on proper worship and especially his writing on spiritual gifts and he says this, verse 39, So my brothers earnestly desire prophecy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Again, Paul reminds the church one more time that they should desire prophecy. If you're going to desire either of these two gifts, prophecy is the way to go. The preach and talk word of God. Why? Because that's the gift that edifies the church. However, Paul says there there are instances where speaking in tongues is good and right for the church. There are instances where speaking languages and those languages being interpreted are good for the church. And then Paul closes in verse 40 by saying this, but all things should be done, pay attention, decently and in order. You see, Paul, through his own standing, his own authority, reminds the church that proper structure and proper submission are needed for order. And once order is established, people will know their standing and the gifts being used will be used for the instruction and the edification of the people and ultimately for the glory of God. And that is why God has given each of us unique gifts to faithfully serve and edify the church all for the glory of God. And so I want to ask this morning, Is our goal to recognize the standing of the word, to recognize the the standing of faithful leaders that have been brought before us or as soon as we disagree do we run when in reality the only reason why we're disagreeing is because our issue with the authority of the word of God and not man itself now some of you may get mad at hearing that statement so let me say this to you to anyone who's getting mad right now and you just want to run out of here because you're like pastor I don't like this let me say this to you before you check out try checking into the word What is your standing according to the word? What authority are you following? Is it man or is it the word? You see, Paul's goal was for the edification and the strengthening of the church. And he saw how spiritual gifts could ultimately encourage that strengthening within the church. And so in one final writing on this... Paul calls the church to proper worship, and he teaches the church that the worship is found in proper structure, proper submission, and proper standing. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you see the need for order in worship? Do you see why we do what we do in worship? Do you see the need to, as husbands and wives, to submit to one another in your homes and to faithfully lead out in worship in your homes and within the church? Do we see the need to recognize who actually has the authority over our thoughts and our opinions, which is the Lord himself and ultimately his word? You see, when we get those things right, I think we're going to have a better understanding of proper worship and how this worship is used to edify the church and build up the church for the glory of God. Now, we have said a lot in a long time, so thank you for your patience and your grace today. And if you miss everything I've just said, let me leave you with one quote. This is from A.W. Tosher. And he says it this way. Any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. Come on. Are we ready for heaven? Are we ready for an eternity with King Jesus and his kingdom praising, and worshiping his name, then if so, let's give our all to the word of God and that which the word itself calls proper worship. Let's pray again.